Welcome to the Any Mum Can podcast. I'm Versha Patel, your host today, and I've gone from being a driven career woman in the corporate world turned a passionate health and well-being coach and consultant, empowering women to prioritize their needs, their health, show up the way they desire in their life and their work, and so much more. I hope today you are inspired by the conversation and you take some action to make some serious change where you feel you need it the most. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for having me, Versa. That's okay. I'm, it's a real honor to have you to come and talk to us and share your story about uh, your journey through health. Uh, and you have actually brave enough to say you've gone from, you know, obesity and managed and overcome obesity and, and losing the weight and changing the way you feel as a human. Um, and it's, and I can only suspect it was an exceptionally um, life transforming journey. And uh, I'm really looking forward to deep diving into this. But before we get into all of that, let me introduce who Amy is. So Amy, this is Amy D'Ambrosio. Is that how you pronounce it, darling? D'Ambrosio. D'Ambrosio. That sounds so beautiful. And I apologize. I didn't ask that before. We were so busy talking about other things. I forgot to check in. Um, I've been, I was inspired by your story, the things that you shared with my husband, Bavik. And uh, I felt it was really aligned with me. And I thought I would really love to have you on my podcast so Amy, you've um, you've been, uh, this is a little bit about you. So you've been a compulsive eater your entire life, started uh, young using food to cope with emotions. Later, the frequency and quantity increased to uh, binges. Uh, you weighed 270 pounds and was diabetic. And you felt you would never be able to manage your food addiction. And so at the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, you learned coping tools and became an integrative nutrition health coach, which is exceptional. You lost the excess weight and eliminated diabetes, which is amazing. And your mission is to empower compulsive eaters with recovery tools so they can manage their addiction, get their self-esteem back and fall in love with who they really are. Fantastic. Welcome. And I cannot wait to hear your journey, your story and how you did all of this and what tools you can help spread the word to help others that are really on this journey and feeling stuck. So Amy, welcome. And what would, what took you into a deep, dark place do you feel when you were on in the depth of your emotional eating? Um, well, I'm glad you phrased it that way, Versha, because it started on, there is a difference between emotional overeating and compulsive overeating. And, um, and you did phrase it correctly, because most people start off with emotional overeating. And then as time goes on, it progresses to compulsive overeating. So emotional overeating is every now and then based on could be negative or positive emotions uh, but something is spurring you on to want to overeat maybe uh, a breakup in a relationship or anger frustration boredom loneliness um, uh, stress stress is a big one uh, and then what happens is as time goes on, the frequency of the overeating and the quantity that is being eaten increases dramatically. But not only that, it's followed by feelings of shame, guilt, low to non-existent self-esteem, uh, more stress, uh, not liking who you see in the mirror, who and what. Uh, and 
it's not a great way to live. And if you keep doing it, eventually it can be fatal. So yeah, for me, I started really young. Uh, I was probably about eight years old. And I learned early on that when I was eating foods I enjoyed, I felt no pain, so to speak. I, I could deal. It was a great coping tool. Unfor unfortunately, only temporary, but a coping tool, still the same. And so I found um, when I was lonely or bored or procrastinating, or I could find a zillion excuses to binge or overeat. And as I got older, as I mentioned, yes, the stress increased. Only the reasons only increased over time to eat. So being that I, I didn't have an integrative nutrition health coach to help me get through it, it never got corrected until I took that journey myself. And yes, um, one of the first turning points, because there has to be a turning point, because we're doing the inner work and it's a lot of hard work, both inner and, inner and external, internal and external. And you have to have a lot of willingness to do that. Willingness, openness, and unfortunately, I can't bestow that on people. I would love to be able to bestow willingness mm. on people but nobody has the ability to bestow willingness on anyone. And so I went through an, an almost fatal experience. Um, I have to use water to power my voice and I'll tell you why shortly. Um, in 2016, I was hospitalized with acute pancreatitis. And I was in ICU for 102 days unconscious. During that time, I came very close to dying twice. I had ARDS, I had pneumonia, I, my organs were shutting down. And the doctor told my family I had a 1% chance for survival. So my, my kids had to say goodbye to me twice. My husband started planning my funeral. And then all of a sudden, I guess by miracle, the doctor finally tried an antibiotic that started working. And slowly but surely, it was a very painstaking, long and painful recovery. Uh, I didn't come home till 11 months later. Now, during this time, I had multiple tracheostomies. And unfortunately, uh, when, uh, when that happens, people frequently have their vocal cords damaged and mine were actually paralyzed. When I left the hospital in, let's see, I was hospitalized in May of 2016 and I came home March 29th, 2017. And oh my God. I had 
no voice whatsoever. I had to write everything down. My husband got me what's called a boogie board where you I can write things down on to communicate. It took me two years of vocal therapy to get it to where it is now. I will never have my original voice back. I have to frequently drink water to power my voice. I also have to remember to speak on the exhale to power my voice, which was very hard to learn, as well as diaphragmatic breathing. Most people are used to breathing from their chest. Diaphragmatic breathing is breathing from your diaphragm. It's something you have to get used to. Um, and now, obviously, being hospitalized for 11 months, I took off a lot of weight. However, that did not cure me of my compulsive overeating habits and triggers and behaviors. So by the end of 2017, I had gained 60 pounds. That is when I hit rock bottom because I was scared to death that I was gonna end up back in the hospital and not come out this time. So I finally became willing to do anything. So you were mentioning spiritual before. I have learned that recovering compulsive, from compulsive overeating, you have to recover on several levels, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, habitually. And the first place I started was a 12-step program. So doing the 12 steps greatly increased my spirituality. And I want to make clear that it's not a religious thing. It's a spiritual thing. And there is a difference. Um, you can define your higher power any way you see fit. But it just means relying on a power that is more powerful than yourself, that's higher than yourself. And one of the things I pray for daily is the willingness to stick to my food plan every day. Willingness has always been an issue for me. So I'm always praying for that. So I did increase my spirituality. Um, I don't force people, I don't force clients to do a 12-step program. Uh, I try, I do reference certain reading materials that, that is found to be very helpful. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I can mention them on the show, but um, for today by a Reader's Anonymous, uh, uh, Voices of Recovery, uh, Daily Meditations for Overeaters, all of these, by the way, are daily readers. So you read like a page a day. Um, and they are just very uplifting and really get you thinking. And it sets the tone for the day. I usually try and read it in the morning so that it preps me up for the day. Yeah, it's good. It's a good, it's like affirmations and setting. A, exactly. Yeah. Um, speaking of affirmations, one of the things I recommend to people is scripting. Scripting is when you 
writing cursive. Um, kind of affirmations, goals that you want to achieve, but as if they already happened. I, I am willing to follow, I am willing to follow my food plan easily every day and I love it. You know, something like that. And it's a great way to bring goals to fruition. Uh, as well as saying affirmations. You can kind of script and say at the same time. But um, yeah, so so I lost about 70 pounds. I did get rid of the diabetes. My last day one C from being over eight is now 4.8. Wow, that is amazing. Is right at the minimum, actually. Um, the A1C is a three-month average of your blood sugar. So that was really great to achieve that. Um, and I... I, after losing the weight and being involved with the 12-step program, I wanted desperately, I realized that the reason I was saved was so that I could help others achieve the same thing. There are millions of compulsive overeaters dying every day um, from obesity. Obesity causes so, I mean, obesity is a disease in itself, but it causes so many others besides diabetes, cardiovascular diseases, uh, high blood pressure, uh, inflammation, so autoimmune diseases. So, I mean, sugar is the worst inflammatory. Sugar, not only being inflammatory, is so addictive. It is my worst trigger. Yeah, I can overeat um, salty and fatty things, but sugar, chocolate, things like that are my total downfall. I used to binge on that all the time. And I found out that it is more addictive than cocaine. Yeah. How, how food is just my drug of choice. Yeah. So I decided to go, I can't, couldn't just be a health coach just because I wanted to help people. I needed training in it. So I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and I, enrolled in their year-long health coach training program. And then after I completed that, I did their six-month coaching mastery program, which I absolutely love. And so between my life experience as a compulsive overeater and all of the coaching knowledge, learning how to change negative mindsets and limiting beliefs and replacing them with positive ones, asking the right questions to dig deep to the roots of the overeating. Um, all of these things, you know, nobody necessarily knows to do. Um, some people do, some people don't. And I just want it to be clear that it is my mission to help as many compulsive overeaters as I can. And I know it's an amazing thing to come out um, with that belief that, you know, you were saved for a reason because it's the most uh, positive and uh, 
honorable thing to think really to go on and and do this the work you've done on yourself to make a difference to others um when you could have so easily lost your life twice and then you know so you've gone through all of that then put the weight back on hit rock bottom and then finally think oh my god I really need to do this I need to do something so and that's a long period of your life can I, do you mind me asking you how old were you when you then had, at that point when you hit okay. rock bottom after hospital okay I was I was hospitalized at 52 uh so I had gained the weight again between 53 and 54? Yeah. Well, my birthday is actually this month. It's September 26th, and I turned 58. Gosh. <laughs> wow. wow. No, but the thing is, like, that's a long that's a long journey in your life and that's that in that that's a deep ingrained behavior of and to go because a lot of people would think right okay god i'm in my 50s now i don't know if i'll be able to even address this habit these habits this way of thinking this you know it's hard to even believe you can shift beliefs shift a perspective when you're when a lot of people just think that's it well I'm 55 56 that I'm not saying you can't you can't do other things but to change something that has been part of you from when you said you were eight years old I mean that's a really that's your lifetime yeah. right to ever see anything different that's a that's a huge rock well not only that when you've been morbidly obese like I was, I mean, I'm only 5'1". Five, 5'1 one. Five, one and 270 is morbidly obese. Mm. And you kind of just get used to it. And you kind of lose hope <clears throat> that you can ever get over it. And it takes a lot of work every day i'm not saying you graduate and you'll never think about it again mm. it takes a lot of inner work every day yeah maybe it gets a little bit less over time but it shouldn't get too less or there's a danger of relapse and i think that's um the thing with any actual um men mental health disorder too or because really, we've got, you know, my dad was heavily depressed and, and it's not widely really spoken about. But um, I can see that I have some tendencies that I could quite easily drop into a low. So mood disorders so or things like really high level of on my radar of how to keep in a good place because I'm very, very aware of heart disease and depression in our family. And, and, and genetically, there are genetic, there can actually have genetic dispositions to it. So I'm very, very aware, like you have, things are, you never just do something and, and then it's done. It's a continuous journey and you, you have to keep those things in your life. Otherwise you possibly um, relapse or you go into a in a state of that is really hard to pull yourself back out of um and i'd like to first of all there's a uh, a saying one bite is too many and a thousand isn't enough mm. and taking that one compulsive bite you never know when you'll come back from a relapse. A weekend turns into, a week turns into a month, a year. I mean, I've seen people relapse and not come back till for decades. So I have a question then, Amy, regarding like, the deep work when you talk about deep work is this you know this your self-worth 
And did you feel, do you now with the work you've done in hindsight and looking back that you may not have felt you were worthy enough to, what, what was it? I don't want to put words in your mouth. What do you think was the multiple, I'm sure it's more than one, multiple underlying things going on for you, if you don't mind sharing? Not at all. Um, you would think I'd have a self-worth issue. And in a way, maybe I did. I grew up in a very large family. Um, and because of that, and I'm the youngest out of everyone. And growing up, I always wanted to be with the big kids and play with them and whatever, participate. And I always got the feeling I wasn't good enough. I mean, they didn't know any better. They were just, you know, older kids. So, you know, I've, I, of course, am not blaming them for anything, but to this day, it, you know, it gives me almost an imposter syndrome where I feel like I'm not good enough, but I never equated that as the reason for overeating. The emotions themselves, not the cause, I just wanted, I have a very low tolerance for discomfort. So certainly any kind of negative feelings, there's an acronym, HALTS, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and I added an extra S for stress. Um, those are the most dangerous times around eating. And, but I came up with in my head so many excuses. I would, forgetting about loneliness, you can add boredom. Procrastination was a big thing for me. Um, so I would always procrastinate things I didn't want to do, like, taking care of myself. And I used, you know, while I was doing the binging, I was focused on that and enjoying it. Even though you get, you usually eat to the point where you get sick. Either you're in pain or you want, or I mean, or you throw up or, and I don't mean forced bulimia, uh, just overloading your stomach so much that it's gotta come back up. And um, yeah, I was just, can't tolerate, can't tolerate. I'll go get something good to eat and enjoy that. So it's definitely self-soothing for me. Gosh. And the ironic thing is it's not just soothing. I can use food to celebrate. I'm proud of myself. I did well. I did this. I did that. Let's eat, you know. Mm. So it wasn't just negative emotions, positive ones too. Yeah. And is that something do you think you just learned from that young age that you just carried with you? Um, I definitely think that in my family, um, we did, like whenever we go out, it was always around eating, go out to dinner, go out to lunch. Uh, and celebratory things always centered around food. So that's probably where I got the idea. It's also a very isolating disease. 
most bingers do not do it in front of other people. You do it in hiding. You're embarrassed. You're ashamed. You don't want other people to know how much you're eating. So a lot of times, compulsive overeaters, at least what I would do, is if I were going out with people, I would eat great while I was with them, and then I'd go in hiding and binge. And did any of your friends ever ask about, you know, being able to help you, reach out to you in any way? Or do you think people felt it was never uncomfortable? I went to a weight loss camp. My parents at nine years old sent me to a weight loss camp, which I hated. Um, and, but I did take off some weight. And so I didn't lose enough. I was still pretty junky, but And I had a very close knit friends. I was not part of the clicky group. Um, and I'm sure there are clicky groups everywhere. Uh, but I had my own close personal friends and they never really spoke to me about it, which was just as well. I didn't want to talk about it with anyone. Yeah, I can understand. We've got a question for you, actually, Amy. Oh, um, wow. So this is from Jelly. Um, and she said in her first comment about how, um, thanks for sharing your incredible journey and that you've done an amazing, inspiring um, job and the work you're doing um, to change your life and live the life you want. Um, little paraphrase there. <laughs> So her question is, how do you deal now with celebrations or eating out with family or friends? What do you do to avoid overeating on these occasions? What a great question. Um, the first thing I do is I go online and look at the menu of the restaurant. I, I can't go there not knowing what I'm going to order. Um, and then, you know, first of all, nobody, I mean, nobody, we're human, nobody is perfect. So I don't always stick to portions the way I would at home. You know, it's not like I'm measuring anything. I don't bring a scale with me to a restaurant, but being that sugar is my biggest addiction. I cut out totally bread, pasta, rice, potato, carbs, pretty much. I mean, I've actually cut fruit pretty much down, but I'll eventually add that back. But unfortunately, you could binge on anything. So you have to be careful. I was once binging on apples. So you could really binge on anything. Um, so what I would limit myself to is protein and vegetables. Very frequently, I'll get a filet mignon, which is the leanest cut of steak. Um, or I'll get salmon. I love salmon, uh, which is a fattier fish, but it's really good for you. Yeah. Well, you need um, the omega, you need the omega threes. Exactly. So how would you then do other things around celebration? You know, like if previously you've been, um, kind of learned thing of celebrating with food or eating out, have you? Have you changed that in any way? Yeah, I mean, before I would eat, I could eat a whole bread basket myself. Um, 
I don't do that. Bread is an absolute no-no for me. But do you celebrate in any other way other than food, I suppose is what? Um, oh, have you shifted, oh, you know, how, you how you celebrate? Yeah, so both, I suppose. It's asking, you know, how, how do you now celebrate and, and how do you deal with eating out? So eating out, you check the menu. And I do that, you know, because I like to know, one, is it a suitable place that I'm actually going to because I don't eat certain foods? Um, and that is there something that all the children, the children will eat and, you know, because we've all got different tastes. Um, so I just felt ease of being at the table and not falling out <laughs> around what to eat. But, um, yeah, so are there other things you do for, to celebrate other than, you know, to take it away from food? I hate to say it. It still centers around food. But I've, but what I've achieved is too important to me to give up. And going down that path, you never know when you're going to come back from it. Mm. And the tricky part is there's both an addiction and an obsession compulsion aspect to compulsive overeating and okay obviously the biological addiction to it but even if you did stop eating chocolate whatever your mind would convince you that it was okay to have a little and then the question is are you even aware of what your mind is telling mm. you? And after awareness, are you willing to do anything about it? Or are you just going to go have a little, which turns into a lot? Uh, the famous, you know, how do you eat a whole cake one bite at a time? Absolutely. It's, especially some people may not comprehend it when they've not, they're not in that position. They've never experienced that feeling or are not in that mindset where it, it's very normal in some ways. And carbohydrates and sugars, they release dopamine. And fundamentally, dopamine is addictive uh, any drug is what releases dopamine and no norepinephrine and so the the brain wants yeah, pleasure right so that's why even of the mildest versions of um turning to food to comfort us it, it is the the biological the biochemistry of our body urging these foods because we know they will give us instant dopamine instant pleasure not and only, oh, yeah go oh i was gonna say not only that and not only do you have to have the awareness to see what your mind is telling you but you're exposed to sugars everywhere there are <laughs> hidden sugars in everything we eat even healthy foods yogurt has sugar in it usually, unless you're eating plain yogurt, mm. which that's not for me. <laughs> um, um, I try to focus on net carbs, which is total carbs minus the fiber. And um, yeah, so in answering to what we do, yeah, we still go out to celebrate. And it's not easy. I'm not going to lie to you. I will go to Cheesecake Factory and I have to watch my kids, for example, have desserts, milkshakes, and they have like this fudge chocolate cake thing. And, and I'll, in that case, what I frequently do is I'll order fresh strawberries with no whipped cream. So I, I 
you know, and it's, you know, it's a small serving that they give you. So, but at least I feel like I'm having something while they're eating all of that. And my husband, you know, he'll eat off of their desserts. So I'm like sitting there and it's hard. But you do it and that's, you know, you've got the willingness. You have a willingness to keep. That is the most important part. Without willingness, you have nothing. And do you think you have dealt with the feeling of not feeling good enough? Um, with family, certainly. But... You know, professionally, you know, you always look at people. There's a another, I come up with all these expressions, another one, uh, compare and despair. Mm. If you go around comparing yourself to people that have more experience and different backgrounds and whatever, you, you just can't compare. But I have a tendency to at times. Um, but I deal with it. And you just know, bring my mind back. Yeah, because these are things that can help, well, can contribute to if they're triggers for you. It's identifying what's a trigger, really, isn't it? For um, an eating, um, eating f- foods that are going to really kind of spiral you back into a, a into dark, difficult place. As a matter of fact, that is the first thing I do with a client is have them come up with a list of trigger foods and behaviors. Um, and then together, you a food plan must have food you enjoy in it. But there are plenty of healthy, nutritious foods that are delicious. So we just have to find what's good that they like. Yeah. And, you know, that way we're custom creating uh, a food plan for them. That's fantastic. Really, really good. Oh, you know, you've shared some really, really important information and personal journey personal experience um and it hasn't been a I can tell you know it hasn't been an easy journey and to to start it mid well early to mid 50s in itself is exceptionally admirable and you a testament that anything is possible and to go and get educated and you know do the education in it and I've seen that I've seen that education and how detailed and depth deep it is so hats off to you for being brave and to do that well it wasn't the first time I actually tried a 12-step program in my 20s but I didn't truly understand the difference between religiousness and spirituality and I felt like it wasn't for me And then 30 years later, I was willing to give it another try. My therapist therapist kept suggesting, thankfully, she kept suggesting that I go back and try again. That's really good. And I'm glad you did. And, you know, you're doing amazing work, helping other women, men, uh, equal, both, I know. Um, make a difference to their life and and um, how do you how do you urge people to take this journey before they hit the rock bottom that you hit well obviously that would be preferred but a lot of times people aren't willing until Mm. they hit rock bottom yeah even a health scare didn't do it for me. Almost dying didn't do it for me. Having a painful 
recovery didn't do it for me. I had tubes. Let's see, I had, I was tube fed and then two tubes coming out. Wow. It was painful to say the least. And I had to have a couple of surgeries in there as well. Gosh, so really, even with all of that, so you can relate to exactly what a person is going through. and But it's really trying to get that message really loud and clear to people that are on in this place where it's become a huge health hazard and an uncomfortable, unsustainable way of living right mentally and emotionally um and do you think it impacted your family certainly it affected my son um he was so frustrated with me Uh, he does not have a weight issue and he would keep begging me and begging me Plus, he had PTSD from the hospital experience. So he was like panic stricken when I started gaining my weight back. And he would, it just upset him to no end. So definitely. And even that, even with him begging me, I couldn't do it. It's got to be within you. Absolutely. Every cell of you has got to want it. And And I lost it. I wanted to say something, but I lost it. Um, It had to do with the the question that you just mentioned um, about How do you get people to take action before hitting action before it really and and I think the children thing. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, don't. I I don't want to lose it again. Um, I think I did. So children, children are, though, often will do more for others than we would do for ourselves. So, you know, different things obviously trick helped really get you onto your journey and others it'll, will have different motives or different drivers. And it's finding those, right? So oh, sure. Um there's a concept called bioindividuality where everyone is different. What works for one person won't necessarily work for another. Yeah. So whatever recovery plan you come up with has to be totally individualized Mm. for that person. Yeah. And what would you say, like just, you know, talking about you as your strengths in all of this and you as a human being on this planet what do you think your superpowers are love just wanting to help um patient no I have times of my patient. Um, uh, we, I always want things to happen like yesterday, not with clients, but I, I tend to be my own worst inner critic. Um, but love, warmth, kindness, I hope to exude that to everyone. And it's a really beautiful quality to have. Well, and everyone deserves it. 
And I don't want people to think that they don't deserve it. And when you feel they'll never get it. Yeah. Well, when you feel it and see it and receive it, you're more likely to give more love out. It's the ripple, right? Mm -hmm. So thank you, Amy, uh, once again for sharing uh, and sharing your superpowers with us. And um, I'm sure you have many, many more. Uh, You're very in tune. You seem very in tune. You can't fly. But you're flying, whether you realize it or not, you are flying. And I really hope I know it was so thank you, but I know this sharing, sharing more and more and more of people's journeys, people that are not always willing to talk about the dark part of our life or the difficulties and challenges um, that we have. And so I know that you will have moved somebody by sharing today. And um, this is, it's live, but it'll also go out as a podcast. It'll have like a longer life too so I really really hope that you've inspired uh, others you've inspired me today uh, by sharing your story being so vulnerable and um, open so thank you Amy thank you for listening today I hope you found it inspiring and of value please leave a review too if you're able to this would be really appreciated it helps others find the podcast you can leave a review on apple podcast and you can also subscribe there too among other podcast platforms also please also share with your friends and family and help to spread the word of this podcast and if you would like help with prioritizing yourself your health and changing your narrative for your life please get in touch i am here to help and make a big difference by empowering and coaching and giving women strategies to change their life and their health and you can get in touch with me via versha take care until next time thank you